If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open up to Mark chapter 9, where we sort of left off last Sunday, right, right where we left off, Mark chapter 9, in the series, in the middle of a series, titled The Struggle is Real, working through the gospel of Mark. And this message is titled, Power Sharing with God, Power Sharing with God. Mark 9, we'll read verses 14 to 29. Follow along as I read. <clears throat> when they came to, the other, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or to uh, water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd uh, was running toward the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, as far as I know, certainly in the, as we've been studying the book of Mark, this is the first time, uh, this is the first major failure of the disciples, right? First sort of public failure. This isn't just a oops. This isn't just a private, you know, sort of in your, in your kitchen or your, you know, your prayer room or something. This is a public failure. There is a crowd that is surrounding. There's teachers of the law arguing. And there's even a man who's sort of, you know, picking them out, right? You know, teacher, right? These guys couldn't uh, do what we asked them to do, so we're looking to you. It's a public um, embarrassment. It's a, a failure, but it's important. We're talking about us here. We're the disciples in these passages. To understand the context of this failure, if you really want to understand the lesson of this passage. The context of this failure, I didn't read it because it's such a long passage. The first 13 verses is what's called the transfiguration. And the transfiguration is Jesus takes three of his, um, uh, his sort of top lieutenants, J J Peter, James, and John, and says he brings them up into a high mountain. 
And on that mountain, you can look at it if, you're, if, you, if you have the Bible in your lap, it says Jesus transforms in their presence. I mean, this is an amazing moment. It says his, his um, clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone could bleach them, number one. Then, if that wasn't amazing, in other words, he was transforming into his, in a sense, his glorified state, right? Jesus became a man, but he existed before a, a manger in Bethlehem. He transformed into them in his glorified state. And then they were covered with a cloud. And then on top of that, if that wasn't enough, then in the midst of this very unusual, amazing experience, supernatural experience, they hear the voice of God the Father who says, This is my son, verse 7, um, who I'm pleased with. Listen to him. So these guys, you talk about a worship service. They are up here with the glorified Jesus transformed in their presence. Not only do they see Jesus in a way that no one has ever seen him before in, a, in some amazing way that points to his deity, but then they witness the love between the Father and the Son which is the heart of the gospel. And by the way, that's what we are invited into, right? I am in you and you are in me. As I am in the Father, you are in me. We are invited into, C.S. Lewis called it a dance, but we are invited into the actual relationship between the Father and Son in an eternal love that's hard for us to really appreciate. And for a few moments, maybe an hour, these three men were there, right? But... But, picking up where we pick up, verse 14, they have to come down the mountain. And they have to not only live their lives, but they have to do their ministry, not on a mountaintop, not where God is glorified in that way, not where everything is perfect, everything is beautiful, everything is right, a man, heaven on earth. But they're in a world that's full of unbelief, oh, unbelieving generation, that's full of demon possession, that's not only full of human brokenness, but their own brokenness right that's where you're called to live out the christian faith that's where i'm called to live out the christian faith and if you get nothing else from this sermon get this right this is a call to a serious worship of god in your everyday life if you do not figure out christian person how to go to the mountain with God, for lack of a better way of saying it. In other words, have a real worship relationship with God every single day and find a way to bring that into your everyday life. You will fail miserably in what God has called you to do. And this is what the disciples do fear experience a failure, as you and I will experience a failure, but they're going to learn some important lessons. The first one perhaps I've already said it, is our failures are opportunities for God to do a work in our lives. Do you believe that, right? That's what this is about. This is a public failure. And there are many people, and maybe some of you have been there, and maybe I have been there, I think I have, where I've had some kind of failure, even a public failure, even a big failure, and I've said to myself, as the disciples could say here, they had some successes before this one. They'd done some miracles of their own before. But here they are in the midst of a large crowd, verse 14, and the religious leaders, and they have failed. And it could be very easily for them to say, that's it, I'm done, I quit. I have failed publicly, I've been humiliated, I'm done. Right? Many people do that. Some of you, maybe. But Jesus wants them to learn 
their failures are opportunities for God to do a greater work because let me tell you something, what they couldn't do here or almost did do here is nothing compared to what God has in mind for them. You know the rest of the story, the book of Acts, as do I. Why couldn't we do it? That's what this passage is about. That's where it ends. The disciples get, go indoors. They don't want to have any more public conversations about their failure and asked him privately, why couldn't we do it? Why can't I do it? Why can't you do it? And let me tell you what most of us do. We tend to locate the problem in our lives other places like our temper, like our um, ambitions, like our addictions, like our lack of discipline, all not unimportant things. But we tend to locate our problems superficially when the root of our failure is about our inability to believe God. That's what Jesus is saying, right? Bring this man, bring the boy to me. It's like the feeding of the 5,000. You know, I'm a pastor. It's funny, when they come down the mountain, it's Peter, James, and John. They're probably glowing from the mountaintop. But it says, uh, the, the, as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed. They didn't care about Peter, James, and John. Let me tell you something, people, uh, people don't care what I have to say necessarily. They're not coming to see your wisdom, your smarts, to see what kind of miracles you can do, right? They're coming to see Jesus. Bring the boy to me, and this is a lesson for them. We're all faced with inabilities in our lives. I hope you are, you know. You've been alive long enough. You're a teenager. You should know this already. You'll know it all the more the older you get. You are going to be faced with, the, with your inability to face your challenges. I face them. You face them. The disciples face them here. This is actually the first time, and I'm sure this is done on purpose, of all the exorcisms, that's what the technical term for this, right? He, he, he's casting out a demon. There's never a time in my understanding except this one because when you're exercising a demon, there's no real, you know, quid, there's no conversation, right? It's just, you know, you exercise the demon. It's demonstration of power. But this is the one time where Jesus at, demands faith from the man's, the boy's father. If you can, question mark, verse 22, then maybe we can, we can do something here. I'm demanding something. It's the only time there's an exorcism where something is demanded. And I'm sure it's not for this man's sake. After the miracle, we don't even know what he has to say. There's no response. There's no follow-up from him. We don't hear from them. We don't hear from the boy. Where this passage ends is a private conversation with the disciples. They go indoors and say, why couldn't we do it, right? Why couldn't we do it? And then Jesus gives two very important principles here. These are the things you want to hold on to. Uh, in this passage, verse 23, verses the first one. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, who doesn't love that verse, right? Sam, don't you love that verse? Everything is I just want to take that verse, and I want to take it, Adele, to, the, to every problem I got. Personal problem, you know, professional problem, relationship problem. What an amazing promise. Everything is possible to the one who believes. This is what Jesus wants his disciples to know. He wants he want you to know and me to know. But what does that verse, what does this powerful truth actually say? Let me first say what it isn't. It's not a formula, right? Oh, that Christianity was a plug-and-play formula. It's not a formula so that you and I can find a way to get our, you know, our wishes granted, 
like God's a genie, right? It's not what he's saying. It's not a formula. It's a genuine maturing faith that will not set limits on the power of God. It's, I don't know whether or not God's going to answer my particular prayers. That's not the important thing. There's too much going on in the world and what God is doing in my life. I don't know what God's will is for my life or for your life, right? I can't say to you with conviction that God will restore your marriage. And I pray with families all the time. And that's just what I want. And I think it's what God wants. But I cannot say with conviction, God will restore your marriage. God will heal your child. God will heal your disease. God will bring your kid back from, from the edge. I cannot say with conviction, although it's my desire and my hope for this church, that God's going to do bring revival in this church, right? To truly bring spiritual revival, that God becomes more central in my life as your pastor, more central in your lives, more central in the families of this church, where we experience a true surrender in the power of God like the book of Acts, and as a result, hundreds of people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior today. Uh, will come to know him as their savior. I can't say for conviction that that will happen. But, but, I hope I can say with conviction that it's possible that it can happen if I believe in him. That's what he's saying. It's just that it's possible. My problem isn't, you know, getting all the things I want answered in prayer. My problem is, do I believe it's possible that he can save your marriage? Do I believe it's possible that my lost brother who, who slept over my house last night, and I'm thinking about him, Keith, you know him, is it possible that, uh, that he could come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior? Do I believe it's possible that God could see truly hundreds of people Come to know Christ. That's what he said. Everything is possible. Do you believe it? Do I believe it? Now here comes the second great promise, verse 29. Lord, why couldn't we do it? Why were we so ineffective? Why did we fail? He replied. He didn't say, shame on you. He didn't say, I told you so. He didn't say, go back to school. No. This kind can come out only by prayer. Now, we don't know all the situation here. He, here's what he didn't say. Some, some people look at this you know, verse, you know, pastors, theologians over time, and it's, it just doesn't come out by, and they put in some adjectives, you know, by, you know, you know uh, slain in the spirit prayer, by, you know, really get on your knees before God prayer, by double, triple consecration prayer, but that's not what he says. What he says is this kind can come out only by prayer, which makes me think that the disciples actually tried to exercise this demon without praying about it, right? Without praying about it. It's another great spiritual truth. He's not, he's not talking about a technique here. He's not talking about a quota. Well, you, this would happen if you just prayed more, Jeff. If you just prayed more. If you did it Monday, Tuesday, you need to do it three times as much as you're doing it now. And if you do that, then maybe... You'll have your, he's not talking about a quota. He's not talking about a technique. He's, he's saying this. He's putting his finger on the cause and the cure of our powerlessness, right? 
That's what he's doing. And the cause and our cure of our powerlessness is this. They couldn't drive it out. I couldn't drive it out. You couldn't drive it out because you were not depending on him. How long shall I stay with you? How long do I got to put up with you? Bring the boy to me, right? That's what, that's what real faith is. Our failures, our opportunities for God to do a work in our life. Here's how we're going to end our service in, in, in a few minutes. Back of your bulletin. Where do you most need God's power in your life today? I bet you know the answer to that. It probably has something to do with an area of personal failure. But here's what some people, sadly, is true. Some people have these kind of failures, like the disciples did here, as I said a few minutes ago, and it marks them for a very long period in their life. They just decide, I'm going to live in a loveless marriage. My kid's never going to come around. My family's never going to come to know Christ. I'm never going to do that thing that God's called me to do. They just decide, you know what, this is the normal that I'm going to live with for the rest of my life. I've basically um, accepted that, right? I'm trying to encourage you not to accept it, right? Where do you need God's power in your life today? I'd begin with your failures as an opportunity to work. Second thing you see in this passage is helplessness is the first step in accessing God's power, right? Helplessness is the first step. Some of you are so incredibly proud. My goodness, get over yourself. Really, get over yourself. If you really want to see God's power coming. You know, if this was the only passage that you had, like, you know, you're on a desert island, just this page, right? Or this was the only sermon you ever heard. Let's say you just wandered into church today. Your, your friend brought you to church today and you've never been to a church or not much. And if this was the only Jesus you ever saw, my, my, I would have to say, if it was me, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, right? Look what, this is what you, Jesus, he comes down, so they failed. Okay, it's not the end of the world, right? You unbelieving generation. Now, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the man um, who has the request? Maybe. Is he talking to the crowd? Um, verse 17. Is he talking to the disciples? Oh, I think he's talking to everybody. He used the word, he doesn't say you believing person. Oh, unbelieving generation. Now, imagine you're sitting there with Jesus. Ready? How long... Shall I stay with you? Yeah. How long shall I put up with you? Can you imagine, Dave? This is the only passage you got. You're thinking, this is Jesus? This is I love you. I died for you. I think you're wonderful. How long do I have to put up with you? Jesus says here. All right? I wrote a letter uh, this week to a friend who... I've known for many years who, in so many ways and words, he's, he's given up on God, right? And he's decided that he's out of options in a manner of speaking in his life. And I decided, you know, it was time for me to write him a note and to address some of the things that he has been saying, not just to me, but to some other friends. Things like, you know, God is, God's just not... God's mean, 
right? Almost without saying it, God is mean to him. Or, you know, God is holding out on him. God really cares about other people. He loves other people. He's, he's doing stuff for other people that he's not doing for me. What this guy, many, long-time Christ follower. And I basically wrote him a note and said, listen, God's not being mean to you. God isn't, trying, doesn't, isn't treating other, isn't holding out on you. He's not treating other people better than he's treating you. God is trying to break you free right now from your arrogance and your self-pity so that you might actually bring your, what's really bugging you, to him, right? To really bring it to him. And as I, as I read this letter... I was rereading it yesterday. I thought, man, did I write this letter? This thing is salty, man. I thought, if, 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 I, if I just gave you this letter today, and you just read it and said, blah, 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 Pastor Rob, I think you'd say, I'm not sure I like you very much anymore, Pastor. I don't think you should say words like that. That's a little salty for a pastor to be saying, right? But here's the thing. If I gave you all the other conversations in correspondence of the last 15 years, I think it would make some sense to you, right? That's what Jesus is doing here, right? Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Jesus Christ, I hope he has the, the permission to be provocative in your life. Because if he doesn't, and every failure or every little nudge, you're going to say, I'm done. You don't care about me. Why are you treating other people better than me? Well, what kind of a relationship is that? That you serve a God who can't challenge you. Right? That's what Jesus is doing. He's challenging. And what he's demonstrating through this father, I would say, is the nature of true faith. Right? Because the nature of true faith isn't, you know, tons of weight, spiritual weightlifting so that you can finally throw that long ball. You can, you can heal somebody. Why couldn't we do That's not the nature of true faith. The nature of true faith is really that all power belongs to him. And we only access it sort of anew in the moment as a channel for his power. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? I can barely imagine this happening. I'm holding, I, I, my faith is very weak. Bring it to me. Right? That's what this guy does. And it dramatically changes everything. And he becomes the lesson to the disciples. We took some of you did this week, over between two and 300 of you, took this self-assessment, right? And I hope two and 300 more of you are going to take it this week. So it'll be open until the end of February, early March. But it was such a privilege, right? What's the point of this assessment? It's so that you can take a hard look, right, at your own spiritual life, just, right? To re-ask and answer these questions, right? How's my walk with God? How's my prayer life? Right? This can only happen through prayer. Jesus is a kind way of saying, guys, did you forget to pray? Did you forget to realize that what I'm asking you to do, just to live as a Christian in the world, in the broken world of demon possession and lack of faith 
and brokenness. To do that, you need to have power outside of yourself. You can't do it on your own. Did you forget that? Uh, but I want you to know, uh, I so appreciate it. For over 200 of you wrote individual comments. I read every single one, and I'm going to encourage our leaders before it's all done to read every single one because we have, to get, we have to start owning our own spiritual life. And we need to start getting not only more committed to our walk with Jesus, learning what it really means to have a real faith, to deal with our own failures and to get, and get helpless before God, but we need to learn how to speak truth into each other's lives. You need to start running, writing some of the letters, right? How long do I got to put up with you? Right? Got someone who can say that to you in a, in a loving way? I hope you can. It begins with bringing our failures to God, right? And helplessness is the first step in accessing God's power. Lastly, we must learn to give what we hold most precious to God, right? This is what real faith is. We want to do everything except, the, except what matters most, right? I would have to believe that what mattered most to this man was his son, right? Those of you who have children, first of all, know what I'm saying right away. Those of you who have ever had a sick child, an imperfect child, whatever that means, I mean, some, a child that has some challenges, you know what this, you, and, get, and, and by the way, this is not a challenge that just happened yesterday. From child, Jesus says this, Jesus, how long has he been like this? Jesus, great, how long? Well, then tell me a little bit about your story. Uh, to this man. How long has your son had this problem? Thank you for asking, Jesus. It's been basically his whole life. If it's from childhood, I'm assuming that he's not a child anymore. It's been a very long time. Thanks for asking. And I think Jesus asks him that question so that everybody understands, guess what? This is a problem that's existed for many years. This is one of those difficulties, one of those challenges, one of those failures in a manner of speaking that often in our lives we just decide, to, just decide that this is just the way life is. My, this, this friend's never going to become a Christian. This marriage is never going to turn itself around. We're never going to see real change in this area in our life. It's been since childhood, right? So this man, what's most precious to him is his son, but let me say something about this passage, and I'm borrowing from some other pastors and what I listen to, but, you know, it's dangerous to bring things to Jesus, right? The spirit shriek convulsed him violently, and he came, the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead, right? Right? I mean, if you slow this movie down, and our lives don't often happen in, you know, 15-minute bite-sized sermons, right? That's not how life happens. Sometimes you bring something that's really precious to Jesus and instead of healing it, he kills it, right? Just like I said, I can't, I don't know if God's gonna heal your marriage. I don't know if God's gonna bring revival. I don't know if God's gonna, I don't know what God's gonna do, but the question is, do I believe that anything is possible? And am I willing, do I know how to bring it to him? And do I trust him enough to say, maybe you wanna heal it, maybe you wanna break it, but I trust that you are the most important person, the only person I need to bring this to, right? In Matthew's version of this same story, 
when they say to him, same story, but Matthew writes it differently. They say, why couldn't we do it? And instead of saying this can only come out by prayer, Matthew says, um, O ye of little faith, if you had more faith, if you had enough faith, there's a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and cast into the sea. You say, well, how come in one passage it says you need more faith, and in this passage it says you need to pray, and I would say to you, because in a manner of speaking, they're two sides of the same coin. One writer said this, prayer is faith breathing. Both look outside of themselves for power. Both are about openness toward God. I'm going to bring it to him, right? That's what prayer is. Prayer is not asking, uh, you know, uh, that you can, it's not, it's not Wheaties, okay? Prayer is, is acknowledging your dependence on God. Oh, uh, Lord, I believe, but help my lack of belief. I'm struggling to believe that this is even possible. This, I've been living with this for so long. I've been so depressed. I've been so discouraged. I haven't, I haven't even thought about what it could, could life be different in my son's life, my daughter's life, this lost community. I, I, I haven't even, I've, I've stopped dreaming about it, right? Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Only a life governed by prayer and faith has the potential for real power. That's the lesson, right? Is your life governed by real faith and by prayer? I mentioned uh, 25 minutes ago uh, we were going to pray. So I'm going to invite our elders, wherever you are in this room, to come up here right now. Uh, and stand uh, on the perimeter of this platform. And I'm going to give you guys the last couple minutes to challenge you to get off your blessed assurance, okay, <laughs> and to come and have these leaders pray for you. Now, what, do we have time for you to tell them a story? No. All I want you to do, if you're interested... Is just to say your name, right? Here's Sam Amal of Honor. Sam, my name is Mary. That's all you need to say. Because two things. Number one, God already knows what you need before you ask him. It's a quote from the book of Matthew, I believe. But second, here's what you need to do. Where do you most need God's power in your life today? I think most of you know what that is. And my guess is it's along the lines of an area of long accepted failure, right? So you don't need to say what it is, but just come up and allow one of these leaders, Sherwin's way over there, all the way over to Jason, um, to pray for you, and then just go back and sit down and we'll be done in a few minutes. Let's, let's, let's pray.